So uh, have your Bibles, if you would, turn to Matthew chapter 22. Matthew, 20, <clears throat> Matthew 22, uh, verses 1 to 14. It's our text for this evening. And just a comment or two as we jump in here to this parable of the wedding feast as it's called in Matthew's Gospel. At the time that this parable uh, takes place, if Jesus gives this parable, it's the, the last days of His earthly ministry before He goes to the cross. And I don't know if you've thought about it. I imagine you have and I have at times the chaos that was going on in Jerusalem as the days uh, grew short and Jesus approached the time of His crucifixion. Uh, there were uh, people coming up to Him and the Sadducees and the Pharisees asking Him questions and trying to get Him trapped. And there was all this conflict going on and, and so forth. Um, and Jesus, on a number of occasions in this, in this section here, actually gives uh, three parables uh, back to back. And uh, this one is about the wedding feast. And the crucial question that is before people who know Jesus is, who is He? And is his message true? Can we believe him? Uh, he was, it was said that he would come to save his people from their sin. And what did that mean? Uh, Jesus didn't come to be an earthly ruler to restore the kingdom, uh, an earthly kingdom, a political kingdom, and to get the Jews back in power again. He came for something much bigger than that. It was something he called the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. And when he came, he came preaching and saying, the kingdom of, of heaven or the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. So all of this comes to a head in these last days before Jesus' crucifixion. And here we have before us this evening a parable that I'm going to read to you in just a minute uh, in which Jesus points to a crucial event, a crucial thing that we need to understand. Uh, and that is that many are called but few are chosen. Uh, one of the concerns that at least some people had when they talked to Jesus was, will there be few saved? Or will there be many saved? Who's going to be saved? Will I be saved? And on what basis? So that's what this is all about. And I'm going to encourage us tonight to put our thinking caps on and, and uh, consider this parable, which uh, as we study it will help us to understand um, how we can be assured that we have eternal life, eternal salvation. And that's a crucial issue, and I think all of us need to ponder it. Matthew 22, 1-14, hear the Word of God. And again, Jesus spoke to them in parables, saying, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son and sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast, but they would not come. Again, he sent other servants, saying, Tell those who were invited, See, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen and my, my fat calves have been slaughtered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention and went off one to his farm, another to his business. While the rest seized his servants, 
treated them shamefully, and killed them. The king was angry, and he sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, The wedding feast is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go, therefore, to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. And those servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found, both bad and good. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came to in to look at the guests, he saw there a man who had no wedding garment. And he said to him, Friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the attendants, Bind him hand and foot and cast him into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, for many are called, but few are chosen. Let us pray. Father, now I pray that as we study together this parable uh, of your word, of our Lord Jesus, I pray that you will open our eyes to behold this in truth. I pray that you would um, help us to grasp the importance of this message, the importance of this parable for our own lives. And I pray that we would, uh, that everyone within hearing of my voice tonight would know would know where they stand before you and would know that they are chosen if indeed they are. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, what's at stake here in this parable, what's really at stake here in this parable is the eternal life or eternal death. This is not just an interesting story. But as we study it, I want to study it at three levels. First of all, I want us to discover five surprises in the story. The five surprises in the story are these. First of all, the invitees refused the king's invitation. Now, put yourself in this situation. We're talking about a king. I mean, not everybody's a king, right? At least not in those days. We may all think we are, but uh, here was a king, and he had a son, and he and he planned a wedding for this son, and he planned a wedding feast, and he had a list of people, and he had these people were invited, and because they were invited, they were therefore notified, they were called, and the first thing that we find out here is that these people refused the invitation. And I think it's surprising, at least in, in my mind, it seems surprising that they would just, just would not come. They refused to come to the feast. Uh, is uh, is this uh, does this make sense? I mean, could this really happen that in some kingdom somewhere, the king would call for his his uh, subjects, uh, the people of his kingdom, to come, his friends, people he'd known all his life, perhaps uh, other maybe influential people in the kingdom, and they would just flat turn him down. It doesn't make sense. I mean, maybe they'd at least come for the food, but no, they refused to come. And this is precisely what was happening uh, and did happen in Jesus' time, and it happens in our time. There is a feast being planned. There is a wedding that's going to happen, and people say, I'm not going. 
I'm just not going to bother. It's just too much trouble. I don't have other things to do. The second surprise is that the king did not take no for an answer, but he persisted and gave them a second, and I might add, even more enticing invitation. Notice the words that he says. Uh, It says, again, he sent other servants in verse 4, saying, tell those who are invited, see, I have prepared my dinner My oxen and my fat calves have been slaughtered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. I mean, he gave them the menu. He went down the list. Uh, I I have to uh, sidebar here. Uh, My wife, when when we were raising our daughters, I don't know about your kids. Maybe your kids get up in the dark 30, but our kids were always sleepyheads. And so uh, Mary, to uh, entice them to come to breakfast in the morning would would go back and wake them up, and she would go into this elaborate explanation. Kids, breakfast is ready. We have fresh-squeezed orange juice. We have crispy toast and butter. We have mm, steamy oatmeal and raisins. I mean, it just makes your mouth water, right? Um, well, not always. But you see the point. The, the king has now gone out of his way to to do everything possible to make this look very inviting to them. They should come to this feast. Uh, And it's interesting that the next thing that happens here is that the the third surprise is that the, the invitees grew even more resistant and hostile. They weren't worn down. They were not softened by this appeal uh, and the re- repeated uh, invitation, this did not get to get through to them. They actually became murderous with the second invitation. They became hard-hearted so that they they went off, they either ignored and they went off and did something else, or they actually, some of them even killed the servants of the king who came with the invitation. And you say, how could that ever happen? And yet it did happen. And it even happens now that God sends out His servants to call people to come to Christ and some of them get murdered. So then the, the fourth uh, surprise is that, oh, wait a minute, there's a not surprise. The king punishes them. But that's the thing, it's not surprising. The king says, bring these people, round these people up, you know. We're going to send my army out against them, burn their city. Uh, and you do, that's not uh, surprising. But then the next thing that's surprising is that the commoners, that is both bad and good, it says, fill the, fe- the wedding hall. So the next thing he does is that he sends his servants out and he says, just get anybody you can uh, because uh, I want you to go out into, it says in verse 8 or verse 9, go therefore to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. And those servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found, both bad and good. There are no qualifications here. Just come on in. We've, we've got plenty of food. We've got plenty of room. We want to have a party. We need you people. Come on in here. And so the wedding hall was filled with guests. And that would be hmm, kind of a surprise, I guess. And then finally, the twist in the plot comes in verse 11 because 
The king then goes in to see the guests, and there was a man there who had no wedding garment. And he said to him, friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? Now, the man was speechless. And this is a clue to maybe something that isn't in the Bible, but at least scholars have uh, told us this. Uh, they say that in those days, if there was a wedding feast and people were coming, traveling and from different places, that the, the host would provide proper attire for the guests. They didn't need to bring their own wedding guests, wedding clothing uh, on the dusty roads. They would come to the uh, feast and they would be provided with a garment. But this guest, I think it's safe to say, refused to put on the wedding garment. He uh, was confronted by the king and then the last surprise is that he was cast out into outer darkness where Jesus says there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now you may think to yourself, wow, that's pretty harsh. We'll get back to that in just a minute. But the point that Jesus makes here at the end and when he wraps this up is for many are called, but few are chosen. So those are the surprises of this story. But now let's think about what this story actually is saying to us. The first thing we need to understand about the meaning of the story is this wedding feast is symbolic. There's something going on here besides just a wedding and a, you know, a bunch of things like that happening. Uh, if you turn to Revelation chapter 19, um, we get a clue. Revelation 19, verse uh, 6. We see this vision that John has in uh, heaven of what is referred to here as the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he says this, Apostle John says, Then I heard that what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying out, Hallelujah! For the Lord our God the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give Him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come and His bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. So when Jesus gave this parable, He knows what is going to happen, what will happen. He knows that ahead there lies a wedding feast that will, that will occur. And at that wedding feast, Jesus will receive His bride, His church, that church that has been purchased with His blood and dressed in the righteous deeds of the saints or those righteous deeds that Christ worked through the saints, the righteous deeds, the righteousness of Christ worked out through His people. So the meaning of this wedding feast is symbolic and we need to understand at this level that there were two options 
laid before us. There were two options laid before the people in Jesus' day. And that is, either you will come to the feast dressed properly and enjoy the fellowship of the king and of the son who is marrying his bride, the, the church. Either you will enter into that appropriately and properly or you will be cast into outer darkness. Outer darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is another description of eternal hell. This is not funny. This is not silly. Uh, th this is not something to just say, well, uh, you know, I could take it or leave it. Uh, the, the crisis before us here is in our own lives is to understand that what Christ is holding up to us are two options, and that's the only two options there are. Either you're in the wedding feast or you're in outer darkness. Those are the options before us. There are no others. And Jesus explained it this way, for many are called, but few are chosen. You see, the called were given ample opportunity to respond to the invitation, but as they heard the invitation, they only grew more hostile, even as they got chance after chance to respond. And what does this prove? It proves that they were not chosen. Because there's a group that are called, and then there's a group within that group that's also chosen. And the question is, are you among the chosen? Are you one of those who will be found in that day properly dressed and enjoying fellowship and the, and the worship and the celebration of the marriage supper of the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world? So, you might say to yourself, well, you know, it seems, seems kind of, uh, it seems kind of harsh that this guest who came into this wedding feast and he just, you know, I mean, he just didn't want to put on that wedding uh, garment. Uh, what was the big deal with the wedding garment? Well, what that symbolized was a person who had, number one, disrespect for the king and, and the holiness and the sanctity of this great feast, of this great event that was going on. He disrespected the king. He thought he was fine just like he was. Don't bother me with your, uh, with your uh, wedding garment. I, I, I'm fine just like I am. Whatever he was wearing. And by the way, the wedding garments disguised everybody's uh, either bad dress, either social status. It made everybody kind of the same. Maybe that was part of his problem. He also had an exaggerated sense of his own acceptability. And this is a problem that I have seen over and over again. One of the hardest things for people to come to Christ is to recognize that they, they are not acceptable the way they are. They're not, they're not okay. They've been trying so hard to earn their own righteousness. They've been trying so hard to prove that they're okay, that they're good like they are, that I'm, I'm fine. Uh, they've tried to, to climb up uh, into, into perfection, uh, and it never works. But if this continues, then uh, they, are, they are cast out ultimately. 
Paul said it this way to the Ephesians, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. The biggest obstacle, it seems, to people, at least from a human point of view, to coming to Christ is to say, I cannot save myself. I cannot earn salvation by my works. I'm not good enough without the wedding garment. I can't go in there. I'm not going to be acceptable. And if I go in there, I'm going to be cast out for sure. Finally, I would like you to consider your response to the story. Because the tragic event at the royal wedding was that a man was cast out into utter darkness and left weeping and gnashing. This is a terrible picture. I call upon you, do not be that man. Do not be that man or woman if you are. So, and how is that? The question is, have you heard the call? Have you heard the invitation to come? to come to the feast, to come and celebrate the marriage of the Lamb. Come and celebrate what Christ has done. He has purchased a people for Himself, the church, by His own blood. And you are invited or you're called. But have you heard that call? And you say, when did we have a call? And I would say, every Sunday morning, every Sunday night, and lots of other times too, but certainly every time somebody stands in this pulpit, there's a call going out, and that call goes out to you again tonight. He calls you to come to Him. You're invited. And then secondly, have you accepted the call? Have you said, yes, I'm going? Have you, have you said, have you understood that now is the day of salvation? Have you understood that you need to come. You can't say, wait till I get myself fixed up. Wait till I get my own wedding garment. Let, let me get some good, you know, threads to put on and then I'll go. No. It's not about getting your life shaped up. You can never do that. It's about coming and recognizing that apart from Him, you are nothing and you have nothing to offer and you need to be clothed in His righteous robes, which you may be by faith, and by repentance. Now, some of you know enough to use this excuse, but I'm telling you not to use it. Do not use this excuse. Well, maybe I'm not chosen. What if I'm not chosen? There's nothing I can do about it. That's up to God to choose me, right? But that's a mistake. Because you're still called, and you still have the opportunity I want you to turn uh, in your Bibles, or maybe you just want to look up on the screen there, uh, in John chapter 6. In John 6, 35 to 37. In this discourse where Jesus talks about being the bread of life, that He's come down to nourish those who will choose to feed upon Him, those who by faith come to Him. He says to them in this verse, John 6.35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to Me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in Me shall never thirst. But I said to you, 
that you have seen me and yet you do not believe. They had received the invitation. They had seen Christ. He had told them who He was and they did not believe. They're much like those initial invitees to the feast. They didn't want to go. They did not believe. Then it goes on to say, all that the Father gives me will come to me and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. Now, take that just on its own merits that you have an invitation, you have a call, and you may not use the excuse, but maybe God didn't choose me. You'll know that He has chosen you when you say yes and when you say, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. Those who accept His invitation go through a process of thinking, I'm hopeless, but maybe there is hope because He's offered me salvation through Christ. And when they see that they've been invited, they're not like those people who were out in in the highways and byways, the good and the bad that the servants called. I think they were stunned to realize that they were going to get invited to the the king's uh, wedding feast. I think they were grateful, most of them. And they came. And they probably thought to themselves, how did we get in here? We have a song about that. Oh Lord, why was I a guest? We could sing that sometimes. Uh, we do sing that. Uh, and, and you, and you look around and you go, how come we're here? How come we're in here? What, who are we? Why should we be at the king's wedding feast? Unless, of course, we sneak in and don't put on the wedding garment. And we need to think about that. If we come in and we think to ourselves, I'm fine just like I am. I'm okay. Um, We will be cast out and that will be a tragedy even in the middle of a feast. You know, those who come to this wedding feast initially, maybe always, are horrified because they need better clothing. They know that. All of us who... um, all of us guys who are married, we know what it's like for our wives. We've got to go to some deal. And she says, I have nothing to wear to that event. And they're concerned about that. And I'll tell you, you don't want to mess with that, right? I mean, that's, that's true. They, they really do need the right clothes. Uh, and maybe they're illustrating for us the truth. Uh, we ought to think of ourselves as we ought to, we ought to be horrified by the fact that we have been called into this feast and we have nothing to bring. We aren't going to bring a casserole or we're not going to put on the best clothes we've got and try to make do. We have to come and receive what he gives us and what he gives us is his righteousness and he dresses us up for that. So I call upon you to come to him today. Uh, ask him to help you believe. If you struggle with this, help me, Lord. I believe. Help my unbelief. That's a prayer you can pray. Oh Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. I don't even know how bad of a sinner I am. I'm still learning. How about you? Do you realize that every time you discover more sin in your life, you discover more greatness in God's love and salvation through Christ? 
how much more has He done for us? And we've still never touched bottom on this. We'll be doing it the rest of our lives. So, what does it mean to be one of His chosen? What does that actually mean? There are at least, I think I can draw from this this parable, uh, these descriptions, these these characteristics of the chosen, they receive the invitation. They come to the feast. They put on the righteousness of Christ. They put on the wedding garment. And they enjoy the King's pleasure forever. Those are the chosen. Are you chosen? You can find out. You can learn. If you respond, the invitation has gone out. I Pray that you may know Him in truth. Let us pray. Our Father, thank You for our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank You that He came to save His people from their sins. Thank You that He did not tell us to pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps. He did not call us to be the best we could be. He called us to recognize our lostness, to recognize that we're just common riffraff who need His invitation, who need Him to dress us in His righteousness. Lord, I pray for every one of us here tonight that we might come to Christ in truth and that we might keep coming to Him and trusting Him for the cleansing that we need from day to day And we pray that You preserve us. Hold us steady as You do Your sheep. Hold us in Your hand until You see us home. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.